All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Welcome to the Sovereign Mind, Body, and Soul podcast with Coach Jerry. I am Coach Jerry. And if you haven't caught any of our podcasts before, just as a refresher, this podcast is dedicated to encouraging deep thought while finding our sovereignty through purpose, physical, mental, and spiritual health. This all will be a light. Starting over. Three, two, one. Hey, welcome, everybody, to the Sovereign Mind Mind. Welcome, everybody, to the Sovereign Mind, Body, and Soul podcast with Coach Jerry. This is Coach Jerry. Uh, if you haven't tuned into our podcast before, just a refresher, this podcast is dedicated to encouraging deep thought while finding our sovereignty through purpose and physical, mental, and spiritual health. Let's all be a light in this darkness. My guest today is Jason Olivia, who I'm honored to be featuring. Jason is a coach and consultant who is a jack of all trades and a master of only some. Jason, Jason is life learned and curious since childhood. Jason is life learned and curious since childhood. He's had a fascination since he was young about why people do what they do. Why are some successful and some are not? All of which has led him on a path of self-exploration and a willingness to investigate, challenge, and be challenged. All while learning how to integrate life with a passionate heart and a big brain. I'm excited to share Jason's gift of personality with you all today. We're going to delve into the human psyche and how integration of our psyche can aid all of us in our life. Jason, thanks for joining me today, brother. Jerry, I'm ready to, uh, ready to rock and roll. I'm excited, so thank you. I'm excited to share what, uh, what's going on in that big brain of yours, man. You're, um, um, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Jason is, is uh, serving a mentorship role in my life. He's helping me understand this Enneagram personality assessment and... Uh, he is, he is just a wizard. Um, I think you're all going to be blown away today by what he has to offer. Uh, so Jason, for those of those uh, tuning in that, that aren't familiar with you, uh, would you mind sharing with the audience a bit about you and your story? Yeah. Uh, thanks, Jerry. So um, let's see. Uh, I, like every other human being, have had my struggles in, in life with the highs and the lows. Um, I guess I could say I've had mine show up uniquely like my fingerprints. Uh, and as I traveled and dealt with my life in the world, um, I've always been, as I as you introduced me as, I've always been fascinated with uh, human behavior, uh, attitudes, passions, uh, et cetera. And uh, that led me on a path. Uh, I was heavily uh, into sports, uh, played college football, competed in powerlifting, uh, hurt my back, um, like probably almost everybody else in the world, and um, had all kinds of fun injuries, dislocated my right shoulder multiple times in multiple directions, and, uh, you know, the wear and tear on the body. And as you get older, lo and behold, I, I uh, started becoming symptomatic. In, in addition to that, uh, I was involved in healthcare for 20 plus years as a consultant and as an administrator, specifically in pediatrics. So I was um, working hard, uh, getting older, not necessarily always taking care of myself in an ideal sense. Uh, the symptoms of my college football and powerlifting com competition days were starting to creep up. Uh, and I started getting symptomatic of some ill health for myself about 15, 16 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and from a work standpoint, um, before I dive into that, is a lot of my work was around systems design and how do you design processes and systems in healthcare so that they are as cost effective, efficient and effective with getting the outcomes that we were trying to achieve. 
So in the back of my mind, I just throw that out there. I'm a very systems oriented thinker and feeler. Um, going back to my body showing up as a wreck. Uh, next yeah. thing you know, um, I literally, uh, I can recall the day. I, I don't really have a specific pain or, you know, as we have learned in our Czech language, the pain teacher, I, I didn't, I wasn't overtly symptomatic. I just knew that I wasn't uh, any longer um, able to do some of the things that I wanted to do or thought that I could do. And uh, which included like night sweats when I was sleeping, crashing for three to four hour naps on Saturdays and Sundays, uh, drinking coffee to get stimulated and start my day, grabbing food on the go. Uh, not My workouts were inconsistent. Uh, my back pain was showing up a little bit more frequently, uh, et cetera. So uh, one of the days uh, in the fall, about 15, 16 years ago, I, uh, my metaphor is I put my feet over the side of the bed and I said, I can't keep on doing this. I see my dad as an example. He was on 12 different drugs and stuff like uh, that. And I said, I'm going to end up like my dad. Yeah. So I said, it's time to time to do something. And then lo and behold, I was at my chiropractor's office. He had a uh, book, lo and behold, on the coffee table, how to eat, move and be healthy. <laughs> uh, I, I read that and then uh, I've never been the same since. So yeah. then I got involved with the Czech Institute um, and I've done all kinds of certifications and trainings with them. I got involved with the Institute of uh, Professional Excellence in Coaching. I got certified as a professional coach. I also got certified with Journeys of Wisdom and John McMullen in regards to his holistic coach model. And then my background formally is in psychology and or organizational design. Yeah. So that's kind of uh, at a high level version. Um, Dude, that uh, explains a lot. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Jason is a unique character, guys, in a good way. Like, just like uh, he's one of these guys who just whose knowledge and and the way he delivers messages and, and comes at you, it's just captivating. Um, and I think because there's like this resonance of truth that comes from you, Jason. And um, you know, it's it's something that's very easy to grasp what you're saying, and you do it in a very organized and um, structured fashion, which anybody can appreciate. So. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so <clears throat> there's there's a lot there that 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 uh, in my mind, like, you know, the way I kind of frame it was what I hear was there was this a whole bunch of doing like going through life doing and maybe not as high of a, a level of attunement. And then the pain hit, which forced you to be attuned to your current situation and the, and, and the effects of your 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 habits and choices and behaviors. And you stumbled across the answer, right? Or at least something that would be a catalyst towards the answer. And, um, you know, I can relate that very similar to my journey. And um, where our paths kind of crossed was in, in studying the psyche, right? I believe it was Stephen Walensky that, that we started studying together, correct? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And um, for those of you guys who aren't, who aren't uh, familiar with Stephen Walensky's work, you're not alone. Um, very much a, a um, uh, I don't want to say cult following, but I guess that's what a lot of people would, would call it. Like the people that are into his work are really into it. Um, and if you're interested in the human psyche and the way of the human, I highly recommend uh, any of his books. Uh, probably my favorite anecdotally would be the way of the human series volumes one through three. Um, but those, his work tied in, in, in with the Czech holistic model, 
ties very well into, you know, the, the personality assessment that you and I um, favor, and that's the Enneagram. Now, before I dig into that, I just kind of want to segue what we're going to talk about today. But before sure. I dig into that, um, you and I are both very holistic minded. We, we live a holistic life. But I would I would say that, you know, people that maybe just talk to us or meet us, they wouldn't think, oh, gosh, this is a holistic person. And a lot of that has to do with maybe their own uh, viewpoint of what a holistic lifestyle is or what what it is, what it means to live holistically. Uh, would you mind sharing with me and, and the audience what your definition of that would be? And I, I apologize. I know that wasn't on the questions list and I'll edit this part out later. But um, but yeah, what would you say? What would you say to somebody who when they hear the word holistic, the first thing they think of is maybe some dude in a bathrobe chanting and, and you know, blowing smoke <laughs> and, and praying to crystals, you know, um, yeah, yeah. nothing wrong with any of that, you guys. But, you know, uh, there there is this like prejudice around the word holistic and and just curious, Jason, what your take is on it. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. Uh, for me, the context of holistic really tugged on my heart because of my reference before of design, being a systems thinker and a systems designer. So when I was working professionally in hospital settings, you know, we think of things of input, throughput, and output. Mm. And uh, how do we uh, account for variables uh, and how they interact with each other to generate a specific outcome. And my experience within healthcare was a lot of times it was very siloed. So then, you know, the upstream wasn't talking to the throughputs and then the throughputs didn't really care about someone else's inputs, which was their output uh, because it's, it's like the patient is done with me, you know? right. but the center of this patient didn't felt, um, felt the disjointedness of how hospitals are structured where it's not fluid in, 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 in a concert, sure. like an orchestra. Sure. So uh, for me, when I gravitated to how to eat, move and be healthy, I immediately resonated with that, um, with holistic, a holistic approach. So to me, systems thinking or holistic health is none other thinking about the body as a system of systems. Yeah. Thinking of the psychology and the body, the mind-body connection as a system of systems, you know. Uh, and so for me, holistic health is uh, looking at the human being multifactorally and understanding that there are probably more inputs and variables than that our science and our philosophy has can even fathom and account for. Yeah. And yet all of that is like all of these ingredients are in a melting pot and produce you know, life, so to yeah. speak. So to me, holistic health has a flavor uh, of that, um, that we need to really think about, um, we need to think about our metaphorically or literally our problems and our solutions multidimensionally. Mm. And that it's not, uh, can't really, in my opinion, be done in a silo. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of a broad brush perspective uh, on, on holistic health. That's great. Uh, yeah. Jason's very good at like putting a few words together and just really boom, just delivering it. Um, and it's refreshing to hear that because honestly um, my personality type, you know, what I choose to accept and resist, you know, uh, things that are really abstract or, or difficult for me to conceptualize and adopt. And I was like the rest of the population. When I heard the word holistic, I really, I really, 
came up with this like hazy, misty vision of, of, of things. But when I read that same book as you, how to eat, move and be healthy and coming at it from that, from that standpoint, the way it was explained, like you said, input, output systems of systems, then I really, I could look at it almost mechanically and objectively, right. Where, as opposed to like this mystical realm of the holistic being and more importantly, um, in my mind, anyway, more importantly in my mind, that you mentioned input and output. And it's one thing to say that everything we do or everything that we introduce to our being affects everything. But let's drill that down. And the input that you put in creates a certain output, but also the order in which that you do it or the, the order of merit, so to speak, of what we focus on um, changes the outcome. So in other words, we'll take back pain or hip pain as an example, right? Someone, something in the lower center of the body. Now we can holistically look at that, right? We can take a look at the eyes and the atlas and the shoulders and, and the breathing and the core function and all that and say, yeah, that has an input impact on your ability to stabilize. And we could address that and we could show improvement, but what we've left out there is the psyche, right? What thoughts are creating this emotional visceral response to life that is causing us to ignore the eye, the, the dysfunction in the eyes where their right and left aren't working together to ignore the pain in the neck, to ignore all that other stuff. And um, so that brings us into the Enneagram and the Enneagram in my mind is a beautiful synergy of holistic health. And it can be very subjective, very feely as far as your interpretation and how you integrate that into your existence. Or it can be very objective and systems-based and, you know, um, mechanical, at least in my observations thus far. So going into that, knowing that, that the psyche is is very important, maybe most important in, in, in our order of correction, right? Our direction of correction. And the fact that how you choose to address the psyche matters as well. And the Enneagram in, in its approach, in the way that it, it manifests itself within us, I find is very special. I am not as good with words as you are. Could you explain to the people who may be never heard of Enneagram, maybe their only um, introduction to any sort of personality work has been a very impersonal, very out of touch, like corporate uh, environment. Here's your personality test, read the pages and then turn, submit it to HR, that type of thing. Yeah, I appreciate the invitation, Jerry. Um, so Enneagram spelled E, uh, N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M, pronounced Enneagram, like A-N-Y-G-R-A-M. Um, so for, for my long studies with it almost 20 years now, at the end of the day, there is a little bit of ambiguity about its origins. Uh, however, um, I can with confidence say in the last 100, a little over 100 years, the format and the form of what we know as a human personality system called the Enneagram has really uh, taken quite a bit of shape in presentation and what we know today. Uh, so it stands for the fact that there are nine personality types, uh, that there are positive attributes or characteristics of each, and that there are negative attributes and characteristics of each type. Uh, it's a human personality system that um, has also spiritual tentacles in certain circles all the way down to 
uh, very practical behavior-based and everything in between patterning of how people think, feel, um, sense, emote, and behave. Um, and then the, within those nine patterns, the model also suggests that we have all nine types within each one of us and that one is primary. And then for the most part, all of the eight others are used as tools in the toolbox to help you navigate your life and the core needs uh, and the core drives and fears that you have based upon your core type, which is all rooted in early childhood response to environmental stressors, which gets to your earlier point about how perception shows up in the body. Yeah. Yeah. And I found that, um, the, the beauty that I found about the Enneagram is that nothing and nothing against Myers-Briggs or any of the other personality assessments, but there it, it, it is easily integrated into whatever you're doing currently for your for your mental well-being. Like for some, it's religion. Uh, for some, they're seeing a psychotherapist or, you know, or a trauma counselor. Maybe they're seeing a body work specialist. And I know anecdotally, my clients like seeing some of all of those right and in no way shape or form does this interfere with that uh whereas like when you start ta talking archetypes you know if you start talking archetypal language to a christian right then it gets into paganism and and then that becomes the discussion right but this it doesn't interfere that way so what are what are some of the benefits that a people can incur by just taking this leap of self-discovery and then anecdotally with yourself what are some of the the biggest uh, uh, examples of people really leveling up in their in their overall holistic wellness uh, from immersing, immersing themselves in the Enneagram. Yeah, so for me, um, so just want to be clear. The first question is around application systemically with all of the uh, okay. Um, so for me, um, the, the beauty of the Enneagram is that it is culturally neutral. Mm. It's not trying to impose uh, a moral code of ethics. Mm. It's just trying to help uh, assist people uh, understand their patterns of the thinking, feeling, emotional uh, reactions and responses to life and their behaviors, regardless of gender, regardless of nationality, uh, regardless of you know uh, age, uh, etc. So, what I, to your point, I really like that it it didn't I didn't have to jump through hoops, in a sense, to uh, overcome some of the barriers that you gave voice to that some. Uh, in religious circles or otherwise might have. Uh, and when I would talk with clients about what their results were with uh, the inner compass personality assessment, it was helpful because um, it was them experiencing the interpretation of their results that I was facilitating, but it resonated with folks quite clearly. So it was, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't here me trying to convince them it was yeah. them having the experience say, yes, I recognize those patterns within myself without any convincing and arm twisting. Yeah. Um, am I hopefully getting to the yeah. heart of your question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, and then um, as it relates to people leveling up, you know, uh, I, I, it's been years now, but the, one of the first things that I thought was really important was, um, you know, as a Czech practitioner, you know, we have uh, tons of physical assessment tools to, to look at. Mm -hmm. um, and this was going back into my background even before I got involved with the Czech Institute. Uh, I was doing a lot of co consulting and coaching of executives. And so I used this tool then. And then I just saw it as a perfect marriage of mind-body, almost like a mental and emotional health assessment questionnaire, right, in our HAQ language for yeah. those who can relate to that uh, acronym. And so for me, uh, I was able to understand my clients even before I met them. I could look at their results and have an interpretation. And, and, and by the end of my first session with them, uh, they felt seen, they felt heard, they felt mm. understood. They had clear, much clearer awareness of how they self-sabotage and get in their own way and helping them connect the dots of, oh, that's why I freaking have my emotional eating. Yeah. Or that's why I have these emotional angry outbursts. Okay, that helps me understand so that I can consider how I want to stop doing that pattern, stop that facilitated pathway and introduce a new pathway. It became very clear. Whereas in the past for me, if, if I didn't use it, I was in charted territories where I'm trying to figure it out on the fly. Correct. Yeah. So in, in the spirit of if you don't assess, you guess. Yeah. This helped me eliminate the guessing of my clients. And then so from day one or after that first session, like I said, they felt seen, heard, understood. They had new awareness. And then the game plan to execute was much more sharp and precise, like surgical like. Yeah. Um, and then that cleared. We were getting results faster because it didn't take me as the coach three or four interactions to, to quote, I'm starting to figure this person out yeah. as it relates to how I experience them to make a bigger difference or impact to help them help themselves. So uh, that was super helpful. So, you know, helping clients understand how uh, one client was an executive uh, and she was uh, binge eating, you know, she would uh, hard, like she had been doing it for almost half of her life we do it almost weekly, bi-weekly, uh, and she would binge really hard and then vomit in, in that repeated cycle. And she could not figure out, uh, why am I doing this? And she was more of a, she morphed into more of a paleo-friendly lifestyle, would lose weight and then still self-sabotage. Mm. So I used the assessment to help shine the light on uh, her issues, her core motivations and drives which were associated with her self-sabotaging pattern. And then once she became aware of that, then we started working through uh, awareness. What do you do when you're aware of that pattern initiating? So she got clear with her pattern cycles. And then it was teaching her about stop, uh, inquire or investigate and be in touch with those experiences from past so as to transmute that uh, transform those experiences versus indulging in the food as a means to soothe herself. So teaching her new tactics and new strategies to deal with some of that. And yeah. as a result, she had binged, eaten, vomited maybe once or twice 
after wow. after that and they were like six months seven months apart and that was the first time she had ever done that yeah um, so that's maybe one example but there there are many others that i could give yeah and that is uh you hit the nail on the head when you said that it, it just it just makes it laser like precision because much like yourself um it, it was experiencing some of the same where although you ultimately get to you know a, a good place when working with a client there's there is that that feeling out process and you know whether we know it or not whether we admit it or not they're assessing us the whole time right is this guy full of shit um <laughs> walk the walk right um that type of stuff and uh it everybody like you said the core motives right their uh their biggest fears right their desires um if we're not careful especially someone like me i'm a i'm a type eight um on the enneagram scale which for you that don't know type eight is very much a challenger can be very aggressive can be very stubborn uh maybe uh prejudge things prematurely you know and i if i'm not careful i'm guilty of all of that and so for me for my personality type it's i got to be very careful in not uh sparking somebody's uh biggest fears or their shame points or you know any of the above and so i found that that with this system you are able to gain trust early because we are coming from a good place it's just sometimes our you know our personality and our shortcomings get in the way so um so we're able to really be much more proficient at like you said understanding this person what not to say how not to handle this for me watch the tone i'm speaking in the the pace the cadence that i'm speaking in you know and and that's not being fake that's a part of myself that i'm integrating right giving more life to taking it away from the eight putting it in a different area and um, so what that leads to is a very engaging and fun process for the client. Now, what they think is going to happen a lot of times, you know, when we look at inner work or uh, deep work, self-work, whatever we want to call it, a lot of times people have an aversion to that and they don't really know what they're going to get until they're in it. And so, Jason, what are some of the tools that you utilize for somebody who might be a little scared to jump into something like this? What are some 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 reassuring words or phrases that you can that you can bring to the table and, and really help them understand what they're getting into? Uh, thanks. It's a gem of a question. So uh, there's a coaching technique or two of them in particular. Uh, interesting. It's very straightforward. It's called acknowledge, which is one invalidate, which is the other. Mm. Um, and I have experienced clients when I acknowledged and validated them to pause and actually break down and just simply have tears cry or take big sighs like, <sighs> wow. Uh, so I think one of the most fundamental things in order for me, in my experience with a client to move forward is to co-create an environment that is psychologically safe. Mm. And if I don't co-create that with them, then them feeling relaxed enough to transition from their autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system to their parasympathetic nervous system and, and actually relax their nervous system fundamentally, uh, they will really, really struggle 
with turning inwards and in considering and exploring themselves, which means uh, exploring with courage and curiosity that which they normally uh, are afraid of and have shame about. So they contract, they have muscle tension, um, parts of the brain turn off, and they get hyper-focused on what their their historical conditioning guides them to maintain some level of safety. Yeah. So that safety element to me is I am very sensitive to. Mm. Um, but going back to also this acknowledge and validate, it, it's a very powerful technique, coaching technique, where you acknowledge them and their experience. It's not about ag- agreeing or disagreeing. Uh, they could make a statement that for my value set, I fundamentally 180 degree opposite direction on. However, from a coaching standpoint, I'm not here to agree or disagree with you. Uh, in my opinion, I'm here to help you help yourself. So acknowledging is just, if they are having an experience of shame, fear, excitement, uh, it's not for me to say, uh, have a judgment on that. So I acknowledge them. I acknowledge the humanness that they are experiencing themselves as. And that acknowledgement, a lot of times their partner doesn't acknowledge them. You know, sometimes uh, their friends, their boss or their colleagues will typically, uh, typical might be a strong word, but my experience is that's the default mode where someone has a different opinion and expresses it and says things like, well, why the hell are you feeling that way? Like, I didn't say that to you. I definitely didn't mean it that way. So uh, for me, it's, allowing them to have their own human experience Mm. is an important factor and then uh, validate. It just simply means I'm going to uh, validate what they're saying and share it back to them uh, in a way and mirror it back in a way that offers them that I'm understanding I'm tracking. So if they say things like I'm struggling with this, 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 and this, I would turn around and just reflect and say, so what I hear you saying is that, in, and I try to do it in 12 words or less and summarize it with a nice bow and hand it back to them because they're processing out loud. And so as they're processing out loud, I just take that one minute spiel and tie it in a bow with 12 words or less and hand it back to them to say, this is what I'm hearing you say. Is that a fair summary of, of what you're trying to, what you're drawing a conclusion about? And then most of them, not all the time, but most of them like bingo, that was, that's exactly it for them. You know, they'll interpret what I'm still saying for them, but that so nicely summarizes hearing it for themselves to be replayed back that they're like, he gets me. He really understands me. So those three techniques I really rely upon a lot with any coaching session, with every coaching session that, uh, so that I'm, inviting, uh, introducing curiosity and the courage to move forward in those places that they've for decades maybe have hid from and disassociated from and that they haven't wanted to look look at. So, yeah. Yeah. And I bet that, um, you know, I've seen you do it and it just creates this, this welcoming environment to where you make it very apparent that, that, you know, your stuff, and you know how to help, but you're not interested in coming across as the know-it-all, right? It's, I am, I'm here to hear your story 
and to let you know how I can help, but create this safe space for you to express. And um, much to your point, it's been my observation and, and opinion that that is a huge um, root, if not root cause, it's one of the, it's one of the roots stemming from the main root of, of the state of dissatisfaction in life that we see is we're expressive beings. And from the time we're little, we're just told to repress, right? repress that, repress this. And then it gets expressed in other ways. And we just don't know, we don't know who's safe to express to in large. You know, I, I know personally that was my, everyone was a threat in my life. It's just like, what are you up to? What are you up to? You know, how are you <laughs> going to, how are you going to, you know, pull one over on me? And um, right. so, yeah, and I certainly appreciate the way you do that. It, it's, it's really, really professional. Um, and so, kind of what I was, what I was alluding to there is, is the overall state, you know, of really society and our culture, but at the individual level, people that are in a state where they might not be sure about what the next step is or um, how to proceed or where to proceed or who to proceed with, they're often in a state of confusion, uh, maybe fear, shame, rage, like combination of a bunch of different things, but Overall, they're, they're not what you would call in a state of integration where everything's feeding itself, feeding the next component to the next component to the next component in a, in a real effective manner. And uh, that's a common theme in what we do. So would you explain to everybody what the path to growth and the path to destruction looks like and why it's important to form a relationship with that? Yeah, clarifying question is the path of growth, path of decline linked to the concept within the Enneagram or just overall? Either one, either one. Yeah, both or either. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, we might want to edit this. I don't know, but can, yeah. can, can you restate that question now that I've asked that question just to yeah. clarify? Yes. Yeah. So, so Jason, how would you explain to people what the path of growth and the path of destruction are in relation to the Enneagram and why it's important to form a relationship with that. Got it. Thanks. Um, so within the Enneagram model, they have this uh, concept called the path of growth and the path of decline, which you can relabel them as the path of integration, path of disintegration, the path of confidence versus the path of stress. And it, on a, on a fundamental level within the model, it just invites us to consider that each of the nine types, when they are feeling stress, have those negative characteristics within themselves, within their core type, come to the surface more frequently. Under prolonged stress, then they take on an adjacent personality type's stressful characteristics. Um, and each personality type has that. And so you kind of compound your disintegration, so to speak. Mm. Uh, the path of growth or integration would be is I'm getting my psychological needs met. I feel good. I feel confident. And that your cup is overflowing. And then therefore your cup spills over into another adjacent personality type and their positive uh, attributes are felt and experienced by others more frequently. Mm. So I'm a type one. So for me, uh, when I'm feeling comfortable and confident, 
uh, in my path of integration, I go to what's called a type seven. So said in another way, maybe real practical example is when I'm feeling good that I'm organized, I'm structured, I'm on point, I'm feeling good that I'm doing the right thing and I'm being a good boy. And there's, uh, I have a couple of good days in a row of doing this. I go from being a little bit sometimes rigid in my black and white and wanting to do the right thing approach to be, I become more relaxed. Mm -hmm. My borders become more porous and I spill over to the positive attributes of the type seven, which tend to be very uh, experiential, playful, high energy, wanting to have really fun experiences without an associated outcome or that I'm not trying to improve myself or the world, just very playful. Yeah. Uh, whereas as a type one, uh, I mentioned I can become at times stressed out. So if I'm stressed, I can become judgmental. I can become more rigid. And if I have enough of that, then I'll feel overwhelmed and a lack of control. Mm. And I feel chaos pretty, e pretty easily then. And then I will move to the, what they call as a type four. So I become moody. I turn inward. My energy goes low. I go inward e emotionally and have a lot of fantasies. Uh, I want to escape. It's like a disassociated pattern of, of checking out, so to speak. And I want to be alone, uh, that kind of stuff. And so what's really cool about, in, in a sense, the Enneagram system is each personality type has this model of, integration adjacent types and disintegration adjacent types, a type for each. Um, so what's helpful is that then you can pick up on those cues. So if I, if my energy is high and I'm feeling more playful and relaxed because I'm a type one, we could at least behaviorally pick up the cue that I am in a, that playful, confident stress maybe not necessarily stress-free, but very easily managing life and stress, I'm more playful. Yeah. If I am more moody or wanting to be alone, then that would be a good indication that I'm stressed out. Mm -hmm. So then my, if my partner knows that, or my friends know that, or my boss knows that, or my peers, then I could have some friendly help and support. Sure in a way that's more patterning. So people can literally check, uh, see that pattern much more clear and clean. And then there can be, hey, Jason, how you doing? It sounds like, look, feels like you're in your fourness. Yeah. Are you feeling okay? Do you need anything from me? Mm. You know, versus, you know, just the opposite. And all the types do that. So on one level of human personality, for me, the Enneagram is helpful for that because of the earlier conversations we talked about pattern reckoning. You know, mm -hmm. we, the mind is a pattern reckoning machine, recognizing machine to be safe and to categorize things and, and feel comfortable. So in a sense, if I can understand my partner, where they're coming from and where they're at at any given moment in time, uh, then it makes the dance easier more predictable uh, in a sense of I, I can predict where they might be going and where they might be headed, you know, um, and it makes our conversations more surgical, more precise. And, and the interventions are very clear and cut, clear cut. Mm -hmm. So that to me is what makes this integration from a human personality standpoint, 
there's other levels of integration and disintegration we could dance with, but that from an Enneagram standpoint, I'll, I'll throw it there for now. Oh, that's, <clears throat> that was beautiful. Um, a lot of great points there. The one that really resonated was the cup spilling over into the other, right? Which explains why when we, if we bypass something that would be naturally our path to integration and go to something else, right? Then we're, we're not letting the cup spill over in a way that's most beneficial for us. Um, but one thing that really this overall vibe I get from what you just said, uh, and correct me if I'm missing the target here, was that the level of awareness that you utilize uh, can take something that could be chronic because, you know, we like like we talked about with the disintegrated state, there's different acute disintegration and chronic disintegration. Um, but we uh, often get into this chronic state because we don't know what's happening to us or or why it's happening or why we've employed these strategies. And um, the level of awareness that you employ allows you to recognize that. And more to the point, oftentimes we over-associate with our disintegrated self, right? We're overly critical. So for someone who's a type one and maybe they're, they've been in chronic disintegration for years, they might really think that they are this depressive, sad, mopey, want to be alone type of person. Is that something, is that something that uh, you've experienced as well, Jason, in, in the people you've dealt with, or is that kind of from left field? Uh, no, I'm going to steal a line that, you know, we, when we read Walensky's work, yeah. he uh, quotes Korbinski when he says, uh, the map is not the territory. Yeah. yeah. So to get into a deeper conversation about personality, to me, uh, what I have learned deeply and viscerally over time is uh, the map personality is not the territory reality. It's not our essence. It's not our fundamental nature of who or what we are. Yeah. So, but most people, 99% of us, and I still deal with it. I'm not, sure. I'm not out of the woodwork yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cause I regress. And what I'm getting at is that we, um, all misidentify our our being who and what we are for the mind and the body the personality yeah. uh, and so to me i would even say the more raw and honest and real integration and disintegration occurs when we disintegrate when we identify our being as our mind and our body, i.e. Yeah. our personality. We integrate uh, when we've learned that who we think we are, we've come to the conclusion we aren't. And therefore, yeah. who or what am I? You know, the beautiful existential question and crisis that every human being deals with, um, even upon their deathbed, they're going to deal with that question. And then at the end of the day, when we have a knowing uh, of our essence or who and what we are, then the scales come off the eyes and we see with absolute clarity that I've been misidentifying because of beliefs and perceptions of who I really am. Yeah. So uh, that to me is, which we could probably spend a lot of time yeah. on, but to me, 
another one of these, I promise. We're going to get deeper on the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but to me, that's the most fundamental integration disintegration. That's yeah, that's powerful. Um, yeah, and I, I'll, I'll just touch up on this little story that tags along what you just said briefly, because like I said, I don't want to go too deep in the woods on this one. But uh, we had a great discussion actually this morning in a group I was in, and and uh, the the question was, you know, I think it was a biblical reference, but it was, you know, um, can can someone really change themselves? And you know, there was this yes and this argument for yes and then there's no this argument for no but you know when you when you cook it down to the fat it's like um really like we're talking about the false self and the essence and so long as you're being led by your essence you can't really change who your essence is but you can get in touch with what that is right tie that into purpose something bigger than yourself which is your ultimate guiding light your ultimate beacon uh, but so long as we're chasing around the false self's uh, delusion about the world we live in and our role in it and what we're supposed to do, I should do this, I should do that, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do that. This is what success looks like. This is what success doesn't look like. Then um, we just end up in this rat race in this personal hell on earth. And all because we don't relate to the essence, which is our true nature. So um, that kind of gives me chills that you brought that up in such an eloquent way, man. That was awesome. Cheers. And so uh, I'd like to close with a little deeper one, um, maybe to segue into our next visit. Sure. Uh, but um, we touched up on integration, disintegration, and, and obviously the societal dis disintegration is apparent. And I'll even say that like in a very uh, matter of fact way, in an objective way. That's my objective interpretation that we are in a disintegrated state. And I say that because there is no more debate in our in our culture anymore. Right. There is an accepted accepted way to look at things. And then if you disagree with it, you are censored or canceled or just basically cut out. And I, power, people in power have always done that. But what really scares me is how accepted it is with, uh, with society in general, like how many people are arguing for that. And to me, on an objective level, you could take any personality type and within a certain level of disintegration, you're going to find those traits within them. So objectively, I say that it is people that are in a disintegrated state that are really trying to lead and influence the culture. And so on a collective level, what would you say or what would your be interpretation or even advice on what we could do to get into a better state of integration as a whole, as a collective? <laughs> and that's if you agree with my interpretation. If you disagree, bring up something else. We can definitely chat. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I'm just, pre you know, it's like, uh, how do you solve world hunger? Um, <laughs> so uh, I love it. Red. <laughs> so, so for me, I, I think the Gandhi quote speaks to my heart, and it's how I feel like is important is uh, be the change that you want to see in the world. Um, and, um, you know, what we can do is vote with our feet. You know, we said that and we used to have that saying in my corporate world was people either come to meetings or not. People either do what they're what they need to do or not. Their behavior at the end of the day demonstrates what they prioritize in life. Yeah. So either you're putting clean, good food in your mouth or you're not. Yeah. Either you're drinking tap water or you're not. Uh, either where you spend your money, you're going to spend money at a bar or you're not. Mm. Um, 
so for me, it bore, it was a very simplistic, but yet black and white. It's just yeah. yes, in or out, right? There's right. no people vote with their dollars. People vote with their feet. Uh, so I think that's where it starts. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't. I'm. Uh, I don't want to be in a delusion that uh, my localized energy. Um, will all of a sudden galvanize 5,000 people to do what I'm doing. Sure. Yes, uh, people can talk about the research that says what happens here with this atom and how it communicates on the other side of the globe. And, hey, cool. Uh, I'm not a, not a denier. I'm just saying in my personal local experience, uh, there's a certain level of influence that I can have um, and things that I can have as an influence that I am so ignorant of, right? So there's a lot of unknown about, well, if I do fulfill that Gandhi quote that I like is be the change uh, and model it, um, I, I don't even know how systemic of an impact that truly is just through people's witnesses of it. You know, this morning I was driving my daughter to school and a guy let a truck out in order to turn into the to the highway, right to the lane there, mm-hmm. and I said that was because uh, the line was long. He would have been stuck for a long time, right? So I was like, sure. "Cool, active random act of kindness." That was pretty cool. That was yeah. my conclusion. Uh, they will never know that, right? And it made me think about, okay, how do I want to make sure if someone wants to turn the next time? Yeah. So there's compounded interest that I think leaves us with an uncertainty, both sure. positive and for the negative. Um, the other thing uh, in regards to what sometimes could be perceived as the absolute shit show or, or the circus or the, or the cosmic drama, uh, which is an Indian term or phrase, uh, Layla, I believe it is, where it's a cosmic drama and things are just playing out. So um, on the surface, it looks more destructive. Uh, is it really destructive? I don't know. I don't, I can't, there's no way I can be in touch with all the data points. I also tried to acknowledge that uh, what's in the media is very biased and what they want to present. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, it looks more chaotic from what is being broadcasted and, and, sure. and shared. Is it really? Maybe, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I just have to be honest with myself and say, I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And then rather than feeling a sense of overwhelm, what I do is I just come back to myself and say, well, acknowledge my overwhelm, acknowledge my experience that it feels like it's getting more problematic or that uh, uh, the, the inmates are running the insane asylum, you know, kind of phenomena. Maybe that's true, but maybe it isn't. But what I can do is vote with my feet. Yeah. Uh, I can do what I can do at a very local level. I can model that, share that with my daughter as best as I can, have the co- local conversations that I can, and and allow life to unfold. Um, and then last thing I'll throw out there is this motto that I had tattooed on my arm in Arabic, and it's called live and let live. Mm-hmm. So as a type one, um, I try to fix self, others, and systems and hospitals and and communities and, and other people. That's me getting into my my false beliefs about myself that everything around me is broken and I got to fix it. <laughs> and, and so for me, 
a powerful antidote is to live and let others live. Uh, it is to acknowledge that we all, no matter how much I like or dislike someone's path or the pace at which they're learning or at the pace at which they're reconciling their, their stuff, there is um, ability to be able to breathe and acknowledge and allow others to have sovereignty over themselves and myself with myself so that I'm, I'm living and let others live. Yeah. And that's a, that's, a, that's a good pill, at least it is in my opinion, for type ones and in particular myself to swallow for the second half of my life is to live by that motto because most of the time I had not in my first half of life. Yeah, yeah, that was great explanation. Thank you for that. Um, and one thing that, that came up for me was that uh, obviously you put a high value on personal uh, personal accountability and personal standards. And um, another thing I heard was that if you ignore that and you start trying to fix, fix, quote unquote, fix the things that are broken around you, then ultimately that's probably more likely than not going to lead you down a disintegrated path yourself. So eventually you become part of that, which you thought needed fixed. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, and as a lesson for all of us, myself included, present company included, that the more attention that we're putting towards what needs fixed around us, we got to take a real close look at how much that's distracting from the light being pointed inward, right? Creating, creating shadows in our whole world with everything we're illuminating besides the, the source of it, which is inside. Um, and I know Jason that you work with you work with uh, individuals to get them integrated. You coach people on how to help people find their own path to integration and enjoy life in a fulfilled manner with a high sense of purpose. Do you have um, do you have a uh, a way to contact you? I'm gonna edit this out. How could anybody who's looking to work with you, Jason, to get get more of this what, that you're offering? What is the best way to find you? Yeah, thanks, Jerry. So uh, I have a website, www.innercompass9, the number nine.com. Uh, yeah, and then uh, my historical coaching website is thephoenixwithincoaching.com. So those are two websites. Uh, and I guess those would be the primary ways that you can uh, easily get a hold of me. Okay. Yeah. And that's a, it's a great website, guys. I'll put it in the show notes. Really easy to navigate. You just go in there. Jason tells you all about his program and there's multiple ways that you can, that you can click and participate and work with Jason. I highly recommend it. Jason does group stuff. Jason, do you still do one-on-one? -on -one? Yeah. Yeah. So Jason does one-on-one, -on -one, he does group. Uh, and really there's, there's really nothing that this man uh, cannot offer you as far as getting, getting you to a state of, of high level wellness, high level of integration um, and if, if he can't figure it out, I would trust his judgment that he could point you in the right direction. So Jason, thank you for joining me today, brother. It was a wonderful talk and, uh, it was a great introduction to people or for people into the Enneagram. Thank you, brother. Yeah, Jerry, this has been great. I appreciate it, brother. Appreciate it.